Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Howl with a Pack. Today, I and Simon are talking to Jerry, who is an esports advisor hailing from Miami, Florida. Jerry has been esports coach with St. Thomas University in, in Miami, and he is currently an advisor and podcast anchor. And besides that, Jerry has his special day today. It's Jerry's 27th birthday. So <laughs> happy, happy birthday, birthday Jerry. <laughs> thank you. Thank we you. Are, it's humbling. We are so happy that, I mean, also very humbling to have you here for your birthday and spending time with us to do the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. It's, uh, it's actually <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> from the age. <laughs> <laughs> we are both older than you so I mean, again yep. you should feel young at least for a moment <laughs> I'm going towards that 31 over here oh sh <laughs> <laughs> thank still you very quite much. Young. yeah I think yeah, it's, but... I think it's all right I think it's all right it's it's uh fairly old for the business we are dabbling in I think but other than that, I think it's it's still young, yeah. <laughs> or so you would think. Yeah. Lately, mm -hmm. I talked mm -hmm. to somebody in my network who has been playing Call of Duty for like 10 years. Mm -hmm. And yeah, family father and everything. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's becoming more common. Yeah, Maybe yeah. it's also good to have a little bit of non-20, 22-year-olds in the business. <laughs> Okay, so of course we would start pretty um, far in, um, back into your history with gaming. I'd be interested in the first esports title that you um, played. Okay, so I I, th I think if if I go all the way back, we're looking at Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Mm -hmm. um, I believe it was Call of Duty Four Modern Warfare, and there wasn't really like. The esports scene that's now, it's really, it was really underground. You'd go to like, your friend would tell you about a tournament here, and it was in a room smaller than our office, and it was just crammed. And it was, it was mainly, mainly guys, and everyone's sweaty and you know, drinking Monster Energy drink. Very, very rough. <laughs> Even and, back uh, then. Yeah, yeah, it was land, so you had to bring your own Xbox, and they'll have the TVs <laughs> ready for you. And, and I would play a lot, and I thought I was good, but I really wasn't. And I met a kid that he won the Florida Regionals at that time, which wasn't really that big. It wasn't a big deal. But um, I started playing with him, and I actually started to understand the game more and more. Started to mm -hmm. understand, um, you know, what's a choke, uh, what's a flank, why you can't really do it like that in certain maps, like the type of weapons used, uh, you know, the runner, the... the, the black person and as i started to get into it i wanted to make a group so <laughs> i had my cousins and we're, we're all bad like by no means that i get good overnight so we're all bad but i'm here and i'm looking at maps and i'm drawing little arrows on the maps and i'm thinking that they spawn here and then we go here and blah 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 and then we started doing like little strategies that that totally didn't work out but the point is the <laughs> only reason why they would work out is because we were coordinated on it that's about of course it. so um call of duty the reason why i stopped playing it, it's uh, one, I was super addicted to it, so that was an issue. And I would just play all night, and then I would get any schoolwork done. But my eyes, oh, well, obviously my eyes started to get worse and worse because I played a lot of Need for Speed Hot Pursuit when I was young and Doom with mm -hmm. my father. Like the old Doom, the one that's just like, it looks like pixels. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the one that <laughs> the people one. program on smart fridges now and stuff. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I moved away from it. Um, I uh, my eyes started to get very dry, and I would sit super close to the screen. It, it wouldn't help because you know these old screens. You put your hand close, it pulls your hairs because of the static. Yeah, I would stand really close to these TVs with my glasses, so my face started getting worse and worse. Uh, shortly after that, I didn't really play competitive. I played like Super Smash, but at that point, it wasn't really competitive. I played a lot of Tekken 3. I mm-hmm. love Tekken. Mm-hmm. A lot of Tekken 3. <laughs> then uh, found out about Soul Calibur, and then played a little bit of uh, other RPGs and stuff like that. And then I found out about League of Legends. Um, it was like really, really old. I, would th- I got in Season 2. I don't know if anyone plays League of Legends, but it was back in the day when they had like you would pay 400 gold for an Oracle. You just run around the map. Just kill words. Had like Philosopher's Stone, Heart of Gold, and you just run around with yep. Maokai, Oracle, and it would just be uh, it'll be horrible for the enemy team. It was a wide west. Yeah. So uh, I got in, and, and and you know it's funny because when you get in a game like League of Legends, it it's super fun because you don't know what you're doing. So you're all arguing with each other. Oh, what are you doing? You should have done this, you should have done that. And then you're over here arguing like you know what you're talking about, but you're really not. So <laughs> some of my friends, we were all the, well, they didn't have ratings back then. They had like numbers, like 900, 800, 2000. Mm-hmm. Well, I was the yeah, equivalent. System, right? Yeah, I, I was the equivalent of today's bronze. So mm-hmm. I was not good. And I had a couple of friends come up to me and go, hey, we're going to this tournament. Do you want to play as our jungler? And then I said, yeah, sure. But and I had a lot of ego at that time. Like, I really thought I was hot stuff. And my, one of my friends, he tells me, hey, but no ego. So then in my head, I said, I really want to compete in this tournament. They're giving me an activity. Like, I looked beyond them, right? Beyond what they were offering me, right? They're playing this tournament. <laughs> and I was like, I'm, I'm not going to be ego. No more ego. Ego goes to the trash. So then they told me, like, last minute, two weeks before, oh, you're playing top lane. I was like, okay. So then all I knew was Irelia. So I just practiced Irelia. And I was really focused on like learning the game. There was Now you have like a different rune setup. But back in the day, you had to like buy the runes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and Mobile Fire was just kind of starting off. I remember I actually wrote a guide um, in uh, Mobile Fire. <laughs> look at it. It's called the, the Communication and the Perspective of a Bot Lane Duo. That's what it's called. <laughs> and it talks about communicating. Um, so I, I was top lane. We lost this tournament. Um, Cutie Pie showed up with his friends, um, mm-hmm. and back in that day, uh, pro players weren't really getting a big sa- they weren't getting a salary at all. I think they were just played from like tournament money, and he showed up, and obviously they won. But the idea is that I met some people there that actually spoke to me about the game and the way that they spoke about the game, and they're like, "Oh, you, you gotta get this and the move speed it." And I was like, "Oh my gosh, you could actually get really crazy this game." So I went home and I started playing alone, without my friends, um, and I met some uh, some guy. He was he was also really bad, but he just spoke like he, like he knew the game. Um, that became my coach. So I played with him. I think it was a whole summer, just like eight hours a day. It was crazy. And I was like in high school, just eight hours a day, just playing and drinking water because I didn't have money to get energy drinks at that time. And it was just <laughs> water and, and chips. And um, as, as I got better, I realized this person actually knows the game. They just don't play it well. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I actually did learn, and I got way better. I understood things. Uh, I learned about warding patterns. I learned about development on the lanes, levels of aggression. And this could sound foreign to a lot of people, but it's just it's just kind of fundamental things that you learn. Um, like it, it's kind of like a car. You know, you know, you, you put the blinker before you turn. And um, if you play fundamentally or standard in, in any esport, and and that and your goal is to get better, you will get better if you're always fundamentally playing the game. As I got better in league, I wanted to make a team. I wanted to make an actual team to compete, like for money. Uh, 
and I made a team. And uh, at that point, I hit the first time I hit diamond. It was it was diamond five at the time. And then my teammates were like diamond three, diamond four. We were playing blah blah blah. So then we played against another team in a tournament that my top laner said that that team is very toxic because the owner this and that. But I looked them up and they were like really high ranked. They were like diamond one ma um, masters. So mm -hmm. I messaged the the jungler just to get a conversation, just to explore. And I told them, oh, this and that, how you been, this and that. My top laner says something. And then he explained to me. And then a week later, he messaged me and he said, are you still with your team? Because we need a mid laner. So I didn't mid. So I said, yeah, I'll join. He goes, okay, drop your role and, and we'll give you a month to learn mid. So I deleted all my room pages because you have room pages at that time. And I made room pages for mid. <laughs> and I started playing mid, like Sandra, Twisted Fate, Lulu, you know, things like that. And then randomly he messages me, because my main role is support. He messages me and he says, hey, forget mid. We found the mid. Come support. So I was, <laughs> at that point, I was Diamond 4. And so I just ranked up from D5 to D4. And they were like up there in rank. So we were playing. And this is the first ever time that I got a taste of what a shot caller does. And everything was so calm. All the lanes are doing fine. And all of a sudden, he says, okay, guys, we're going to keep the pressure mid. Adina, take a rotation into the jungle with me. And if they show any resistance, we're going to fall back and take Dragon. Super simple. Um, there was a conversation he had with me before I joined the team. And he said, "You need to. I, I need to understand if you know that there are automatic things in this game that the shot caller never tells you. You just have to know what to do. And I actually cut him off and I told him, yeah, if if... if we're warding left side. I need to understand where to ward, how to ward, how to bring back vision, push up vision, and make sure that I don't get caught while doing it. And he goes, perfect. So I actually came into that team with ridiculous knowledge of the game. I just never had a shot caller. And in the team before, I was learning how to shot call. So I, I never really had a reference point. So for hearing him shot call with like some, and, and it wasn't like, oh my God, the dragon. Oh my God, do this. Oh, because that's usually what happens in shooting games because you, you don't have time to speak. It was more of a passive guiding conversation where everyone understands what they're supposed to do like if we're sieging mid and they say okay we're going to fluctuate rotations between top mid if they show any resistance mid the red buff is coming up in a minute and we can make that the next objective so everyone just knows if there's an objective they know how to rotate they know how to catch people out they, you know so they played really really good um the reason i left the team is because one day um we were hiding in a bush no it was a wall and someone was coming up and they were killing our pink ward and they said, Athena, that's on you. And I'm playing a champion, uh, Morgana, I don't know if anyone knows, that you throw a skill shot and it binds the enemy. So mm -hmm. I got really, really anxious because if we kill this character, we take Baron, we end the game. So, But I need to land my ability, which is super easy because they don't see us. So I kind of got anxious and I walked out into vision and I threw the skill shot and he juked it. And then the shot caller says, Athena, are you doing this shit on purpose? So um, it was really because, yeah, <laughs> then I missed another ability that same game in a relatively simple position. And then it was just really stressing from there because we actually lost that game. And then when I look at the replay, those are two really, really big positional plays that I could have made. And I kind of felt a little bit overwhelmed. So I decided to take a step back from it and then relearn the game from a different role from jungle. So I made another team with jungle, we moved on through there. And then my shot calling got better and better and better. And then I just... And then I just got better. You know, D2, D1, Masters, peaked three seasons ago. I didn't play the last two seasons because, you know, well, I got married like three years ago and, you know, the, the working at St. Thomas and everything that developed the esports scene. And I just, I couldn't sit there four or five hours a day and play League of Legends. That was, I would say, the first actual competitive title that I actually took seriously. Mm-hmm.
Mm-hmm. In, in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> Coco nutshell. Uh, yeah, about St. Thomas, I mean, we, since we know you a little bit, we, we always are excited when you tell a little bit about uh, how it was uh, like to be esports coach at that university over in Miami. And um, yeah, can you give us a little bit of insights what your day-to-day there looked like as an esports coach? So actually, initially, I worked two jobs in the university. I was eight to five a print specialist in the printing department. So I know a lot about paper, paperweights and development of like brochures, flyers, binded books and stuff like that. And um, I helped propose the program for esports because I, it was either wrestling or bowling. And that was the conversation mm-hmm. my boss was having with the athletic director. And <laughs> I, I kind of like uh, pushed her to do the research on esports and, and, and Laura, which is also a great mentor of mine, the athletic director at the time. Six months later, she comes back and she says, "The, you know, we're we're all getting a sponsorship from Ripper for ten grand and blah blah blah." I, they didn't put me head coach directly. They actually had me interview someone, which didn't last two weeks. And then they they felt uncomfortable giving me the position because at that time I didn't have my degree. So I called my friend that was sitting at home with his bachelor's, um, with his master's actually. He was sitting at home with his master's, and he was not working. And I told him you know, why don't you come coach this? They'll give you the job and I'll be your assistant. Right. Um, and he says, oh, cool. Okay. So he comes in and we start kind of building up the program. And, um, uh, the, the president, uh, David Armstrong, um, he, he came in for financial reasons and they were pushing football. So we understood from the get go that there wasn't going to be much support for the program. It's really just kind of build it as you come with obviously recruitment in mind. Um, Armstrong um, served to be a, a very good mentor of mine in a, in a very third person because uh, he was always so busy. We never really had time to chat. But when we did, it was always small snippets of information that obviously I'm going to take with me to the grave because uh, it, it, it's just too good. The idea is that uh, my, my, the friend that I brought in eventually after like a year and a half, he got, um, he got an opportunity at Barry, which is a local university here in Miami, to be their director. Um, and he just felt the vision would have been better for him there. But I didn't want to go. Um, they actually offered me the job, but I didn't want it at Barry, not because I didn't want to go, but because I actually just wanted to build this St. Thomas one because it, I felt it was like my baby. Like, mm-hmm. So I got in and uh, things were a little difficult. The, um, the day-to-day was, um, you know, it, it's recruiting, talking to the students, uh, giving tours. Uh, we didn't, we had a room that was very nice. Um, it, it wasn't private per se. In, in, the, in the backside of the room, there was like an office for like the communications director, but that's really because there was really no space in athletics. They made it happen with this room, and uh, the, the, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of cool stuff in the beginning when uh, developing the teams and going to the tournaments. And obviously, when someone like me that's learning how to build up a program grassroots, there's always going to be some, I guess, resistance, uh, both from administrators and uh, from you know how to how to do recruiting. If you've never done it before, it can be kind of like opening a can of worms. Uh, but so what I did is that I had a student come up to me and say, why don't we get feedback from the students? And then I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, why don't we open up the, the, the dialogue in a way that we allow the students to kind of pitch in on what we're going to do and how we're going to develop it. And I said, that's actually a great idea because, you know, 20 heads think better than one. Of course. Uh, well, within reason. Um, the, the idea is that I asked the student, why, why instead of playing, why don't you just work with me? 
kind of like a student worker situation. And, and I already had a student worker named Kelly, and, and she was kind of instrumental to the beginning of the program. And I thought, well, we need a way to kind of help students engage with the program more, right? But we need a way to show the school that we're, we're developing something much more than just recruitment numbers. Uh, and even though recruitment was, was scarce at first, mainly because one, the institution is extremely expensive. And two, um, we didn't have fiber internet for the first year of the program. So it's it's a difficult sell. Um, now, this isn't something, uh, perhaps you should come out and say like, hey, look, we don't have fiber internet, but that's a really big deteriorator when it comes to bringing in students. It's also bad if they, that they find out that you didn't tell them that you don't have fiber internet or that they find out that they're lagging and they say, oh, what's going on? Oh, we don't have fiber internet, that's why. And then it, because the program is supposed to be equipped with that kind of stuff, um, you know, it, it it's like having a book without a cover. It's just going to get ruined very quickly. The idea here was that I thought uh, of a way that, that we can still have engagement with the students while not necessarily hurting the budget of the university. So it's kind of like a tit for tat. Like you bring in X number of students. Um, and again, that's your, your main job. And then your my secondary job is just like, how do I engage them? How do I make sure that they're comfortable, happy, and at the end of the day, having the, the complete college experience? Because if you're going to college, it it should it should surround itself with events and and you know fundraising, in a way that that the student feels like wow I, I picked a good university to come to I'm part of something now, rather than just mm -hmm. coming to a university and saying ah well, I mean, if I can look at a favorite moment in esports, uh, we did go to Riptide Festival which was super cool, and um, I got roasted because I actually lost to a random person that came in to challenge me in Mortal Kombat. Well, I, I, I lost in front of all my That's students. your favorite moment? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, um, I, th I think it was when uh, Dr. Mark Williams walked walked into the room and he spoke to the athletic director and he was super excited. And I actually didn't know that Mark, Dr. Mark Williams would actually become one of my best mentors um, mm -hmm. in like, my career. We still talk to this day. Love him. Um, I didn't know that. So it, it's just you just don't know. I thought he was just some random I thought, in fact, I thought it was some random guy that just came out of nowhere. I didn't know who he was until I, until I looked him up. Um, when I was, um, it, 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 well, if I hone in here on, on the favorite moment was, uh, I was, so I was driving up to North Carolina with my wife because I think Hurricane Irma, Hurricane Irma was coming. And I just finished getting my car from the dealer. So I told my wife, no, this Hurricane is not going to take it from me. And, and, you know, my dad was telling me it doesn't matter because Gap will pay it, you know. And I could just get another car. But I said, no, I just had like, like an attachment to the car. Mm -hmm. So I drove up. I was driving to North Carolina from Miami, um, you know, before Irma hit. And my wife is on YouTube and she's listening to, uh, to uh, like esports videos. And she finds an interview for University of Oklahoma, Mike Aguiar. And he's talking and she, she puts it on the, on, the, on the aux cord. And I'm listening to it and I go, wow, this guy is he's spitting knowledge. He's good. So she says, yeah, why don't you contact him? And I tell her, come on, that guy's not going to pay attention to me. I'm, I'm, I'm a little shrimp. <laughs> so uh, she's like, well, it doesn't hurt to try. So then I said, you know what? So when I got to North Carolina, I sent him an email. You know, I just said, hey, look, I'd like to ask you some questions and that. I gave him a couple of questions and he said, responded in like a day. Jerry, I think this is a conversation that'll spend about like 30, 40 minutes. Let's schedule a call. So I was like, what the hell? I'm freaking out. This guy, okay. <laughs> Uh, we get in a conversation. <laughs> Look, listen, I talk a lot. This guy talks more than me. Love him to death. Uh, we walked through everything because uh, this was at the beginning stages when I first got the program in my hands and I was like super scared and what do I do and I don't know what to do. Um, and we talked about community and community buildup and uh, how you can't have 
anything without community. You can have the prettiest shoe. If you're not marketing it and no one, you have no audience to attract, you're not selling the shoe. Uh, <laughs> the same thing goes for a program that the initial community infrastructure from the institution is so essential because the, the students, they need a, a, a landing page. They need a path to land on. When they land on the institution, when they come into the institution, and a good thing to do that is to in, instantly integrate them into the community you've already established there. Um, this idea of community actually is the backbone to most of what I uh, most of what I pitch and most of what I preach in esports. That it's all about development, right? It's about uh, stacking a Jenga piece on top of another. Like you can't have X if you don't have the community. You can't have uh, what comes after that if if you don't have anything in your program to make the students happy. Winnings alone is not going to make them happy. Winning might make the school happy. Winning might make some kids happy. But some some students are probably more interested in the social media aspect of it. Some students are probably interested. Oh, you know, I had a student say, Coach, I, um, I don't know how to play, but I do graphic design. Can I help you? I said, yeah, of course you can because there's a broadcast. So there's, there's different avenues that you can bring in students that mm -hmm. actually have nothing to do with the game. Like it's, it, it outlines the games right in, in the industry you so you have your graphic design your broadcasters maybe some people just like looking pretty in front of a camera no problem come over here and uh, be the anchor for the broadcast that's not i mean boise state has, has, has done a good job at this there's uh people that they just really like writing about it and they can do blogs and they can handle the twitter and and you know um schedule interviews for the players and stuff and give the players a, a different feel for the industry that makes the program unique, right? Maybe this university is really good on broadcasting and stuff. Maybe this university is focused on like liberal arts and each institution is going to have their own niche. And I think that's the beauty of community. So from that conversation, I actually, I still didn't know what I was doing because I didn't absorb it all yet. It was just lingering in my head, but I was <laughs> something about the conversation just really, really motivated me. So even though I didn't know what I was doing in the first three months, I just sat there and started doing things, started talking to people, networking, and then I got more comfortable doing it. And then I wasn't really afraid to do it. And then I, I realized that, you know, even making mistakes, um, there's, there's something to learn from it. So don't be afraid to make mistakes. <laughs> They're going to happen. Yes. Yeah, I mean, there's one. no ideal way, right? Uh, Esports no. and video gaming and this as an industry. Maybe that's the beauty of it. There is, it's not figured out yet. I think a lot of industries are like that, but especially something as young as as unstructured as this um, industry is, it's especially true. I mean, when I look at something like initially, not even a program, because most institutions think you need like a lot of money. Actually, to just make a club, some sort of program like grassroots from the ground up. I think what you really need is to gauge uh, the audience, like just identify how many students in your high school or in your campus are interested in it um, and, and start that dialogue and give them a room. It doesn't have to be the latest and greatest computers. If you're starting out something just to see where it goes, just give them a room. I'm talking unpainted walls. The fact that they'll have a room to call their own is the starting point for obviously this isn't the most optimal way but it's the most grassroots like like way to do it without like a lot of capital and the university can start kind of adding and taking away things seeing what works seeing what doesn't what needs to come out as a matter of priority and kind of twiddle and tweak that over and over again till they find something where they say okay fine let's get an endowment let's get let's get a sponsor let, let, let's let's see if one of the students can run it for a certain while until we can build it up enough to hire someone full-time and I think it's a safer approach to do it without ignoring the fact that this industry is blowing up. 
Because you can't ignore this. It's already mm -hmm. there. It's yeah, going to be number three, collegiate-wise, after college football and basketball. At least in the US. I guess yeah, hockey yeah. in Canada is the thing. <laughs> Plus, I don't know if anything in, in Europe is a thing. For yes. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's just amateur things, and then there's nothing commercially going on in the college sports side in Europe. Not much in the uh, UK either. I I was speaking to Stay Plugged In, their uh, their recruitment platform in North Carolina. They're working with uh, Shenandoah um, Institution now, and I spoke to them about uh, helping them establish their international market because schools here uh, yeah, they're interested in recruitment. So obviously, a company that facilitates that is a is good. Uh, but how about international schools? So I spoke to some schools in the UK and just having the conversation. Um, and the schools are interested, but the the thing is, we need to speak to 10, 12, 15 schools. And then when they all say, yeah, we're interested, get them all in the same conversation and then create something for them. Advanced tournament outlines to give to facilitate their high school students to get international scholarships to come to the U.S., which is the purpose of building out the international branch. And I think small things like this that many companies are doing um, and, and they're trying to you know, infiltrate, especially from the U.S., the international market. It's good because we're allowing opportunities for students to explore something outside their immediate country, but at the same time providing what I call real-world impact, which is we're giving them a pipeline to scholarships and a pipeline to um, international internships. Initially, they probably won't be lucrative, but the idea is that we're giving them something to put on their resume because, well, as we all know, most entry-level jobs are now asking for five, four, six years experience for like a 35 <laughs> to 40 grand job. And, you know, if you don't have any of that, I guess you just you can't work an entry-level job. <laughs> Very true. Um, could you summarize uh, maybe the, the thing around St. Thomas? Could you summarize the top three uh, things that you learned there? I mean, you can leave out the things that you will take to the grave, even though I'm <laughs> madly interested, <laughs> but something you can share. So I think um, I really liked, so I, well, this isn't about specifically the program. This is more about the institution, but it ties into the way that I viewed the program. And it's, um, it felt a little uh, lonely, but that, that's not a bad thing um, because it helped me. Uh, there was a phrase that um, a lot of people made fun of, but I actually thought it was, it was really good that our, our president would have these meetings and uh, we have a moot courtroom. And he would talk, he would be super clear about the finances and where the school is going. And we were doing good and how our numbers were looking. And he would give people an opportunity to speak on the mic and ask any question they wanted or do anything, debate or whatever. And there was an ongoing, I would even say a meme, that you can't go into one of these university meetings without Jerry grabbing the microphone. <laughs> there, this was, so, but I always spoke uh, like philosophically, very uh, over the surface rather than really like deep and direct because I felt like this is the easiest way for everyone to interpret what I say their own way. And I talked a lot about leadership. And one of the things that I've learned is that the president always talked about doing more with less. There was a lot of argument behind this, but the way that I looked at it is that if I can do all of these things that I learned in, in, the, in this institution by myself, imagine if I had a team. So let's say I go to another institution. Let's say I work in another company where I have a team where that that I, that I that I can rely on when I'm doing something that can take some weight off my shoulders 
how much more empowerment would I have to pursue, you know, initiatives to, to, to push forward any program and develop it the right way? I think uh, St. Thomas, it's funny because their slogan is leaders for life. And I walked out of there, not only with my degree, which thankfully St. Thomas paid for because they're very nice and they give their employees free degrees and health insurance and all that. <laughs> I walked out of there um, w- with a lot of leadership mindset from that institution. So, I mean, if anyone's got anything to say about St. Thomas is that you're going to walk out there with some type of leadership mindset because you're going to have to do a lot of things yourself. I'm talking from an employee perspective, which is not necessarily bad. Uh, sometimes it can be a little weird when you're looking at recruitment. Um, one of the other things that I got is that, um, you know, the, since the people there know each other for so long, you can actually ask them a question and they'll actually guide you through that process. They'll do it once. You know, and they expect you to, you know, improve from that. But I got a, I got a lot of help from, uh, you know, Sean Mondesir, data science, the admissions director. I spoke to the provost a couple times. Uh, the provosts are busy people, so it's, it's very seldom you get a conversation. Oh, I think the one thing that, that I took the most from that um, institution is that, um, well, first of all, my initial boss, Mark Rogers, um, he's like the best person in the world. So I just <laughs> want to put that out there. He is the best person, down-to-earth person. He'll do anything for any department in the institution the same day, even though we're supposed we, – we can wait 72 hours, same day. And, I, and you know, I, it doesn't matter how things uh, turned out and, you know, because I, I, did, I did end up going to another company. The, the president that came in to St. Thomas was actually a very good choice from the board to bring in, and he brought in a lot of money, and he taught me – not necessarily directly, but indirectly, he taught me a lot of things that I appreciate to this day because it was really hard for me to be humble and say, "Oh, I'm wrong. Oh, I did. Uh, yeah, I didn't do this right." But instead, I would just, I would just envy, whether it's envy others or, or get angry at others for not listening to me or my ideas, and I, I learned how to just sit down and say, "Okay, maybe my idea is not what we need right now. How can I make their idea successful?" and Thinking of ways to, to, to construct that and develop on that really taught me to think a whole different way. Hmm. Yeah, that's something that is very <laughs> hard to learn. That's definitely a good one. <laughs> you can say, I mean, that's a saying, uh, people don't have ideas, ideas have people. And yeah, it's something that we all need to be aware of and actively um, work to fix if it's fixable at all. Yeah. Actually, you know, I had to add something to that. The students are great too. The students in any program, look, I don't care I don't care who the director is. Your students will become like your family. You're in the you're in the room all day. They're, you're going to get to know you. You're going to talk to them. Sometimes the students will ask you, a, you know, about a real life problem they had that has nothing to do with esports. Of course, there's always a fine line between administrator and student, but the idea is that um I don't think someone can go into a role whether it's director or coach and not have a love for the student body and, 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 and for what they want to do with their life. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of brotherhood in esports specifically, at, at least from my experience. And I think for people who come in from outside, they don't understand this immediately. They, they need a little bit of time, but each organization, be it a team, a tournament organizer, uh, a collegiate esports division, all of them, rely heavily at the moment on um, volunteers and people from the community who uh, pick up the slack because true yeah 
the the money is just not there yet to <laughs> to uh, get everyone compensated uh, the way they deserve. But hopefully that's something that we actively work to to fix over time. I mean, even the high schools in the area, when you would talk to them, the students are so excited to be a part of something. Uh, you, you just need to have something for them to be a part of. You know, it, it's not the same thing saying that, um, you know, we, we want to build a program and then saying, no, we have a program and we want you to be a part of it. When the student shows up, you have to be ready to deliver on that. There's a lot of trust from the student side when they say, I, I like your vision. I like what you're going to develop. I like, I like what you're promising us. And they and they understand that the first maybe first or second semester that's not going to happen in the institution and they're willing to help you. I remember recently I, I flew to Kansas uh, Wesleyan I think that's how you say it university and and I spoke to the students there and I I, I spoke to them about um, what I call the fifty percent and it's it doesn't matter how many sponsorships the director gets it doesn't matter how many games that person can coach it doesn't matter how good the broadcast is how good the computers are how cool the room looks. If the students don't do well in the courses, if they don't show up to practice, they don't engage with the program, the program doesn't work because it's 50-50. 50% is what the person in charge does, and 50% the students have to commit. Mm-hmm. Without that, there is no program. Anywhere. That's true. Oh, yeah. uh, for example... If you would now set up a esports um, varsity team for a college that doesn't have anything formalized yet, what would be some quick thoughts uh, that you certainly prioritize in that kind of endeavor? Oh, so I'm I'm very nerdy now. <laughs> so I'm very da- I'm very data driven. I'm very like I need to have my data. Um, the first thing, let, let's say they drop me in some random institution that I know nothing about. Let's arbitrarily. Uh, the mm-hmm. first thing I the first thing I do is I'd meet the departments that I need to meet: admissions, business office, financial aid. I'd get to know how the other sports work and kind of the things that they push throughout the year and some of the events, some of the companies that are affiliated with. Because I don't want any conflict of interest if I'm looking for a sponsor and then I find out that, oh, I can't get it because our football team is sponsored by this people and it'll be weird. Um, and then from then on out, and, and all this takes very, very little time, um, I'll, I'll gauge the student body and, you know, whether it's through surveys, whatever platform or however they used to reach the students, I'll tap into that and get an idea of how many students are actually interested in the program. Uh I'll take a geographic profile of the surrounding area, uh, 100 through 200 miles away from the university. What high schools have esports clubs, esports leagues, what institutions are competing in esports. I'll get uh, the cost of tuition for those institutions, uh, graduation rates, retention rates, the same for the institution that I'm currently in. And then um, I'll adjust from there. Initially, you would develop your budget for what, what you need to build, the computers you need to get, and... Well, you can have conversations with sponsors. Um, l- let's not necessarily talk about the sponsors now. Let's just you build up your initial budget, and then um, there's something that that in, that I call um, stabilizing. So to prove, uh, and Mike Aguiar actually, so I'm going to quote him on this that he says, um, "Higher education professionals have a hard time understanding success in this space. So how do we prove to them that it can be successful? Well, we need uh, some type of measurement tool." These are the number of engineering students that have applied to the program. These are the psychology students. This is what they're saying. This is the survey. And at the same time, recruitment numbers. So, uh, and 
I talked about recruitment initially, and I divided into three pillars, which is uh, your recruitment, your engagement, your retention, and then think of that like the ice cream cone, and then you, you, you're sprinkling revenue on top of all of that, right? Which is what makes it successful. Uh, initial recruitment is much different from inbound recruitment, where the students come to you and they say, hey, coach, I'm interested in your program. Uh, mm -hmm. When they do that, that means you they either found out because they're local and you opened up and they saw the tweet, or you have some reference points. Maybe you've won a couple of tournaments. Maybe you were featured on Response website or something like that, and you're getting inbound calls. This is the goal. You want to get inbound calls. I mean, I know Robert Morris University, when they put their first ever program on the League of Legends website, they got over 30,000 applications. Ridiculous. That's actually ridiculous. That's like any the dream for a university. You get those numbers too. <laughs> So the idea is that that doesn't really happen anymore with esports because there's just so many now, and there's going to be more as the years pass by. You want to start. Um, it's it's a conversation. It's uh it's all about personality. It's all about building rapport with the parents and the students. Uh, see seeing what they're looking for, and and if you can provide that, it doesn't make any sense to recruit uh, ten students that you know are not going to be successful in your organization. You might get away with it with one or two students, but 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 not your your whole team. Uh, there's different games, so you're not you're not going to be expected to coach every single game. So sometimes the students um, will coach themselves, or or you can create a dialogue or, or recruit a student that's really good simply for the purpose of them coaching, um, coaching that that specific team. When recruitment is done and you have recruitment, um, you you instill yourself in some league, NECC, um, NACE, uh, TESPA, or, or or all of them if if you want. Some cost money, some are free. And then you start building the story. Um, how does this work? Well, maybe you just do Twitter. Maybe you just do Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Because they're all different, right? TikTok is quick, absorbable content. Instagram is lifestyle content. YouTube is high-quality content. Uh, well, I don't really think Snapchat's a thing anymore. I think it's dying. But the idea is that, yeah, and Twitter's blogging. So you need to develop a story. Why? Because if you don't have a story, nobody knows you, which means you don't matter. And if you don't matter... You're not going to get inbound calls. You're going to keep doing old school, cold emailing, cold call recruiting, which is very, very tedious and very obnoxious um, because that, that's initially the way it works. Unless you have recruitment platforms um, that you can just kind of pay them a sum of money, you have access to their students. These are also good, and they're actually becoming pretty big right now. Um, you have access to a key number of students. But again, this, this comes at a price. Uh, everything from there really just has to do with how, you, how the school or, well, or how the director wants to improve upon the program. Uh, do you want to be a competition-based program? Do you want to create um, events and tournaments for other schools to join you and you can be part of their story while you're facilitating these events and these scholarships and, and these money bags for students? Are you going to be, um, are you going to develop some new initiatives in theater or in music or in cosplay? Are you going to um, have a really nice broadcast like Boise State? So uh, yes, you can have all of them. But I think that the school, especially when they're starting out, they should they should do what they're good at. Maybe your school's really good at integrating academics. Maybe you just have all of the programs that work well. You have graphic design, communication, history. And there's actually some things about history that people might not get. Um, the tangible aspects of history um, are that, well, I mean, you learn about history, but you, you really, academically, you read it. So at most most things in an academic institution you're going to read about, maybe watch a movie, but check this out. If, if I watch Harry Potter and you read Harry Potter, we can still have a dialogue. In fact, our dialogue will be slightly different because I watched a movie, you read a book, but we can still debate and we can have different perceptions. The idea of introducing the narrative of video games 
uh, and how it relates to history, you can show that in a broadcast. In a five-minute broadcast, you can talk about Julius Caesar, and you can talk about what ha- well, you know what happened in his time, and you can show a five-minute clip from a game, a modern game called Assassin's Creed, and you can kind of dive deeper into or get what-if scenarios aside from diving deeper into that, which is pretty cool when you're exploring literature and history. It's something that they're trying to implement now. I remember I had a conversation with Miles Harvey um, about how they're trying to implement history in esports and how they, they've done it successfully in some small aspects, but. The idea is that there's so many avenues to choose from. You don't have to stick to what everyone else is doing. I mean, you can because if they're doing it and it's working, I'm sure it'll work for you. But if a student has a bunch of institutions and they all have the same exact options, well, they're just going to go with the one that's cheaper. If, if that makes sense. If I was a student, that's what I'd do. If you all have the same <laughs> options, but option C is cheapest. There's some, yeah. there's some geographical uh, proclivity as well, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I mean, you you will not go across the country for two thousand tuition less per year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, probably there are people there. That next to us there. <laughs> cost you more to fly over there. <laughs> so this is. I think that's what saves you if you do the exact same as another uh, university or college. That okay, of course you have the geographical point. Right, so you can almost directly copy and still somehow have co- um, success in other situations. If you um, do something like that against competitors, you will just lose out. But uh, with colleges and with any anything physical, it kind of works still. Well, it it it's it's a balance too. I mean, I can easily grab a, grab two students and say, "Look, listen, I need you two to go to this institution that's like uh, twenty miles that way. Check out their esports room." And just like, you know, literally like a spy. And then what happens is if you have information on the surrounding schools and you say, okay, we'll just plug in 500 grand on our program, which is kind of ridiculous, um, that huge investment, you're literally going to be the prettiest um, esports program around that area. But that's it. If you have no one to implement things with that money, then you're just going to fall short. Yes, you. if a school has a lot of marketing capital, they can make sure that their program is the best in their state. And that'll easily attract recruitment numbers because you're just all over the stories. Uh, that is another avenue. If a school wants to really dump money on a program, they can do it. They just need to grab the right person to develop it. Because obviously, you know, there's a budget and you just want to blow money for blowing money's sake. <laughs> but yes, that is that, that is another avenue. And, and I think that's a very, I mean, how much more can you compete with it? You would have to have a really intellectual person to compete with someone that has a lot of money because you can be mediocre. You got a lot of money. You're just pushing buttons. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are scenarios in which it would probably uh, work, but if you have the resources, in this case money, um, you will always get things done better if the circumstances <laughs> are the same otherwise. Plus, I, I, I want to challenge you. I mean, I know you're speaking from a institution perspective, but I would like to challenge that 500,000 is a lot, considering the uh, long-term development as esports, um, as a collegiate competition. Oh yeah. And you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, so I mean, uh, we we all, at least we three, we we know uh, what universities <laughs> at the moment are willing to spend. And considering that after college football and college basketball in the U.S., esports at some point in the next five to ten years will be number three and. <laughs> With a with a mile advantage towards anything else, um, 
these kind of investment numbers are actually not ridiculous at all? No, no, no. They're not ridiculous. I think some institutions, you can get away with offering low salaries because, an example, someone comes in on a 35 grand salary. In a year, they can build a program and say, okay, give me 50 grand. Give me 60 grand. Uh, because three, four years, five years from now, you can't offer 35 grand anymore for a job like this. You have to offer upper echelon past 50K. Uh, it's just not going to be – if you come in late to the party, everyone's going to be ahead of you. What do you have? Well, they already have it. They built it years ago. They could have had the worst developer, and, they st and they're still more developed than you because they just started earlier. So that's why everyone's jumping in now. I mean, they're jumping in now. Look, all these administrators are at home. What are you going to do at home? You're going to work and you're going to do research. And in your LinkedIn account, you're going to get a feed of esports. Oh, what's that? And then they're going to read it and they're going to say, wow, this is really good. And then they're going to contact the people in the school and they're going to, they're going to start a committee and they're going to start searching for, for someone to run the program because they want, they, want, they want in the game. They don't want to be left out. First thing you always do, start a committee, right? <laughs> start a committee. <laughs> Just get five people that, that want yeah. to push the idea. <laughs> build consensus but i think um, it's healthy you, though uh, yeah, I, think yeah I, think... I mean you have different stakeholders but <laughs> the the speed in which some of these things happen are of course uh, differing by uh, different institutions and you i think you alluded to the topic that some of the institutions started maybe half a decade ago that's like early coming in early we are still kind of early but it's going towards mainstream that would be my gut feeling estimation well i mean it's not just that it's it's the, the digital age so we look at what covid 19's done and i know this is a sensitive topic but when we look at how things have just kind of evolved i wouldn't say that covid has really stopped things it just forced businesses to evolve look at this institutions that couldn't evolve rapidly into the hybrid model they're actually out of business they're done. They're not here anymore. Some institutions are closing down. 15 through 20% reduction in high school graduates applying to institutions costs a deficit of millions of dollars across the board in the U.S. So schools are looking back for the numbers. And remember, athletics pulls in most of these numbers. So if students cannot play on their athletic scholarship, they don't want to go to your institution. Like schools lose recruitment off football if the students can't play for one semester. Mm-hmm. The students don't like it. They want to play. So when when institutions say, oh, yeah, let's recruit these number of students for esports, well, the recruitment's a little different because, one, they're different games. And you would think, oh, this makes it easier because it's just different games. But the idea is that if you play really good, you're not going to want to play with me if I'm really bad. <laughs> <laughs> and the true. thing is, I can't look at you in football and look you up on the Internet and say, ah, he's got a rating of 2,000. He's bad. No, I could do that in esports. I can go to your program to visit your school and get the names of the players that play, and I could just check their rank. And then I might say, ah, oh, this school, their players are bad. They're not that good. So schools want to recruit top talent. Some schools are even offering 50% off like total tuition, which is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. um, I know Robert Morris offered, I think, full rides, if I'm correct, or was it Maryville? But the idea is that if you're getting top players, your story just looks better on social media. Oh, top 500 Overwatch player. Oh, wow. Like, the team is crazy. If, if one player in your institution goes pro, you better believe that you're getting a bunch of recruits next semester. Yep. Oh, yeah. 
That's just the way that works. And if a school is dropping 500 grand on a program, you better believe they're going to be on that director every day <laughs> to make sure <laughs> they're going to monitor them. But yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's still healthy. I mean, uh, I'm glad it's happening either way. I remember when I was thinking of actually doing esports before because the idea in St. Thomas of of telling them, oh. Well, how about esports? Was because me and my wife were gonna open up a business here in Miami. Um, I don't know if you're all familiar with Flanagan's, but this is like a sports bar where you can like eat chicken wings and stuff. The mm-hmm. food's whatever, but you really go there for the happy hour and to watch the football and basketball game. It's mm-hmm. a sports bar, and I was thinking of opening up a sports bar with esports-inspired food, and in all the TVs, a different esports game, and in the back have like a little arcade and like whatever, like some computers and stuff. But it was mainly catered towards 21 and older, right? Mm-hmm. It was a more mature bar. And I thought that was a cool idea. We were going to open up the business. And I kind of put that on the back burner while this St. Thomas development happened. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Still sounds like a pretty cool idea, though. I'm, I'm a big <laughs> fan of those. Fun. I'm a big fan of those eSports bars. I, I just see one flaw. I mean, maybe you have a solution for it. But Someone spilled drinks on the keyboards? I thought about almost, it. Almost, almost, <laughs> right? So you have the chicken wings and then yeah. you have... Exactly. (laughs) Dirty fingers and then tapping on keyboards or on on controllers, that's always an issue. I I mean, I think for obvious reasons we wouldn't allow chicken wings in the game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think that would be one solution. Instead of a smoking area, you have like a chicken wing and Doritos (laughs) area. <laughs> Separate room. <laughs> Close the door. <laughs> the dust is coming over. No, and I thought about a, a way to do karaoke, but not singing. Um, just have random people go up after they had a couple of drinks and cast the games that the people are playing in the back. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I yeah. thought that would be super fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that, that, that good. could be hilarious. That's also something that you could stream very easily. Yes, content. Huh. Oh, yeah. And then you can have things like you can invite people over that are content creators and have little interviews and have people just engage and stuff. It's pretty cool. Just like a little community thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. I mean, because yeah, I, mean... because I was part of the, the uh, Frankfurt um, University eSports, I always thought and I, and I still think so that uh, localized eSports is such a great idea. Um, it's very hard to do because uh, esports is very international internet based so you won't have uh, it's it's hard to get um, people to a local level but if you can manage it's it's just great because people connect so well over over video games it's insane it will happen over time with mm-hmm. more infrastructure yeah. i mean yeah, I, yeah if someone in miami lakes is listening to this and they hear my idea and they want to do it, please contact me. Don't just do it on your own. Because <laughs> I, I have the prof, the profile for Miami Lakes where I live. So I live in the, well, I mean, the biggest building in Miami Lakes, I, I, I live in it. The uh, In front of it, it's an outdoor mall. It's like a big plaza. They call it Main Street. And it's got hibachi grill. It's got bars, salsa, fiesta, whatever, pizza. It's got shops. And it's got little, little delis and stuff. And it's got the Shula Hotel. And it's got a movie theater. And... They had two things that they didn't have there. One was a nail salon. I don't know why you wouldn't have a nail salon there if there's, like, a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't have a beauty parlor. So I said, mm, either I open up a nail salon because my mom does nails. That's why. Or I make the esports thing. 
the idea was that I took a profile and there is 40 plus high schools within a 70 mile area from this location, uh, which is nuts, which is ridiculous. And I think there's there's 30 plus within a 35 mile radius. So the idea here is that what do, and and this I'm totally biased on this by the way. If what are the three things that I think, in my opinion, high school students do when they skip school? And I'm not advocating for skipping school. But I'm just saying, <laughs> um, they probably go meet up with some girl or some guy. They uh, go out to have some fun, or they they consult with some illicit stuff. The idea is that they need a place to hang out, right? And video gaming is obviously up there in the trends. So they have a place to hang out. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm really looking at, initially, yes, you're looking at, okay, but isn't this 21 and older? Well, I mean, we're just discussing this based on the geography, based on the profile we have, right? You want to cater to your audience. You can't just lock them out. So um, there could be some overlap, all right, within reason of having um, students come in maybe throughout the day and then after 10 o'clock at night, only 21 and older kind of situation. Obviously, we wouldn't sell liquor to minors. But the idea behind this is that you're – the closest venue that was it was East Coast Gaming, and it had like seventy computers. And I I know um, the and the Henry Caballero, the owner, he now works for Ultimate Gamer. Whoever's listening should check that out. They're awesome. Um, he had a venue and he closed it down purposely to go work for Ultimate Gamer. So the closest venue, the closest two venues, there's one all the way down, like fifty miles down. It's called Next Level Gaming, and it's just like a gaming center. That's all it is. You go there and you just pay and you play on really high-tech computers I think it's like $20 for four hours something like that um, and they're really cool they just oh, literally just opened up like about a month ago and then you have Flynn's Arcade Flynn's Arcade is developing um, 5,000 square feet for an esports section which I'm helping them build up uh, Eddie the owner is a good friend of mine but that's 50 miles on top of where I am so there's something 50 miles down something 50 miles up there's nothing surrounding the area where I'm in so it's it's good because all of them could have their own space but the biggest difference is that they're all different. Flint's Arcade is more like organic, home-based community. Next Level Gaming is just like, I guess, just gaming for gaming's sake because uh, I haven't heard of any tournaments coming up. And this will be literally inside a huge strip mall of super awesome stuff. And Main Street used to be a staple, I mean, when I was in high school. I don't know what the kids are saying now in high school about Main Street, but I know when I was in high school, it was like Main Street every Friday. That's just the idea. <laughs> That's just the idea, which I thought was super cool. I thought about something in South America, but I got I got roasted by my uncle because he says that that wouldn't work because their internet sucks and they have outages and you might get robbed and all this stuff that I thought about. And because South America doesn't really have like oh, little esports venues, you know. And I thought it would just be a healthy idea to start bringing in the community and giving jobs like you know uh jobs to kids in the community there which could be awesome because those communities don't have a lot of money and i i don't know i thought it would be a good advocate for like the community but apparently it's not possible hmm. <laughs> there's a little bit of stuff happening but yeah it's very slow although i will say the numbers predict or forecast that um esports in south america is the biggest growth from any region within the next three to four years if i remember correctly well i mean if you have two students in your class and you get two more students that's a 100 percent increase <laughs> so if we're looking at increase i think it's because 
they don't there's not a lot of money over there uh for for the for, well i'm not saying an investor can't come in and blow things up but um i think they should try um i know that they, the uk wants to push things out because i've spoken to some schools uh russia it's hard to talk to people in russia hmm. uh, <laughs> basically yes <laughs> they don't answer their emails or maybe that's just me uh, mobile <laughs> mobile gaming however in the apac region Look, listen, oh, yeah. I don't care what I don't care what anyone says. Mobile gaming is the future. Why? And I'll, and I'll, and I'll give a little breakdown. If you're going to create a video about esports players, you're either going to put them in their jerseys traveling the world or you're going to put them in front of a computer in some sort of arena. But if we're doing mobile gaming, I can grab let's say whatever, a stylistic uh whatever, two guys in a Jeep and three girls and it's a convertible Jeep and they're going to the beach and they they come out goes go in the water and the guy says i'll be right there i'm gonna play a quick match and he turns on his phone uh league of legends wild rift and then again you're activating umbrella companies which by the way have never been activated in esports and i'm not an advocate for beer and cigarettes but marlboro can be activated there because they're in the beach you know corona and bud light have been activated already in esports a lot and the idea is that you can start activating like bikini brands and all this other stuff that you can you can have a guy rock climbing in a commercial and, he, and this is ridiculous. He stops rock climbing, and in the middle of it, he just hangs off his rope, and he takes out his phone, and he, and he plays a quick game of CSGO. <laughs> like, it's just the way that you can mark it. <laughs> I I, I, that's unrealistic, <laughs> straight up. Yes, yes, but the idea is, is that you can market this anywhere. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Ad advertisement doesn't care about realistic. It doesn't have to be. It just uh, has to uh, transmit some kind of feeling. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I thought be... this, this is an actual use case. Is it just an advertisement? Yeah. Fair point. It, it would just be like. <laughs> I mean, then he rages on his rope and falls off or something. Because he, <laughs> he dies because someone uh, comes around the corner with the P90 rushing him or something. <laughs> and it's awesome because, you know, I mean, with their slogans and all that, you know, you can literally say, like, what, PUBG Mobile play anywhere? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. so stuff like, I mean, makeup brands have started to be activated, but not in full effect. I would love someone like maybe Jeffree Star or James Charles to jump into the space. Start like investing and putting money. That would be pretty cool, man. Oh my god! Oh, chess is a <laughs> chess is a new initiative after the signing of two Russian girls and Queen's mm -hmm. Gambit on Netflix, which mm -hmm, increased mm -hmm. ch chess.com subscriptions by like what 180 percent and chess per chess board purchases online. Like, yeah, it's yeah. Just, I don't know what it what it is with chess at the moment. It's suddenly <laughs> a ton of people are starting to play chess, reinventing the wheel. Like, well, you, you can't play it live. Chess. Yeah. <laughs> you can't play it live anymore. So it, online is the way to go. So they're like, oh, you support yeah. chess. And uh, I mean, <laughs> I recently jumped back into it too. <laughs> my wife actually on birthday. Yeah. No, it is you bought a, the hype. It is seven hundred and forty-eight pages. It is the book from Queen's Gambit: Modern Chess Openings. Hmm. And, yeah, uh, I mean, I, uh, some some days ago, my brother had a little party um, with some some friends. Of course, everything within the Corona regulations. <laughs> but <Obviously>. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but what they did basically, they played some some things on the console, uh, like Mario Party or something. I didn't really um, watch that intently, but at the same time, they had a, a chess board on the on the table and just played chess casually my brother plays chess all the time on on the tablet i don't know what it is with with chess suddenly that that everyone wants to play it again but if <laughs> i kind of i, I kind of like it but it's uh, it's extremely weird for me 
um, because I used to play chess in the chess club. It was a, an extremely nerdy thing. Like it it was oh, yeah. it was the social outcasts basically. Very weird kids. I was a weird kid, but uh, even from my position as a weird kid, there were weird kids in the chess club. So. Uh, it's yeah, it's it it's, help. <laughs> it's it's incredible for me to see that suddenly everyone wants to play chess, and I don't I I can't I can't get my head around it, but I think it's awesome. That was actually uh, I remember um it, it it was a story I was having with a mentor of mine, and he, he said that in a meeting they told him, "What the hell do these kids do all day? Sit on their computers?" And he gets up and he says, "Without the respect, what the hell do we do in our offices all day?" Yeah. So the 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 misnomer there is that people actually think the stereotype is true. It's actually not. It is not a fat person drinking cocoa and eating hot Cheetos, playing video games in their basement in the rage videos on YouTube. Yeah. That's not at all. What at it least is. not anymore. Same thing with chess. Yeah. The same yeah. thing with chess and nerd, nerdy Harry Potter glasses. E four pawn. That's not. <laughs> that's not it. Yeah. Yeah. They, they really blow it out of proportion sometimes. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's, I think it's definitely true. I don't know why the why the business guys are not happy about this. The kids are already training to sit in front of the computer eight hours a day, so <laughs> just yeah, would benefit the business later on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just have to come up with some some uh, video games like emulating spreadsheets and stuff and make it fun, and then they yeah, have already the the perfect training machines that kids would do willingly uh, to prepare exactly. for the job. This is how uh, some of AI or uh, image recognition machine learning stuff is trained. People get paid like very, very small amounts, less than a penny uh, to solve wow. pretty easy puzzles in developing countries. And that's all used as input to train uh, image recognition. So basically captures paid and that's like your, I don't know if it's a full-time job, but it's certainly your, one of your income avenues in developing countries. So like a gamified version of training AI. I think with all this commotion and moving around, not, not just in esports, but because we can't talk about esports without talking about like online learning and like technology. Most, many companies, and I'm, you're seeing this, right? Can't go to YouTube without getting one or two ads that you cannot skip, right? Oh, um, yeah. and, they, and then they collect data. They literally put you in a survey where you have to answer, otherwise you can't watch your video. And they're just collecting data, collecting data, and hoarding data ready to unleash, I don't know, who knows what in the future. Uh, I think this is a little spooky because I don't just like, like, I mean, there's going to be a lot of people just click random stuff and they're just going to get bad data. But the point is they're still doing it. And there's just nothing we can do about it. I mean, we just kind of have to go with the flow, either invest in it or... Invest, uh, I mean, that's something else. I normally just invest on esports stocks. 25 different securities on esports. That's all I know. <laughs> I'm not going to invest in Coca-Cola. I don't know about Coca-Cola. I just know it tastes good. I know it's mm -hmm. really bad for you. It tastes good. <laughs> I don't know about other people, but I, I just, I can't go with what I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, and That's yeah. actually how you need to invest, only in things that you understand. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, the the well, argument way the argument here is okay. You understand Coca Cola as well, obviously. They're not gonna. <laughs> they're not doing any business magic. 
but yeah, yeah, the, the better mean, you if, understand if you the business. look at how much it costs to produce Coca-Cola, <laughs> it's certainly magic. <laughs> yeah, that's a but good yeah, kind of magic for a business. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think there's been an argument uh, recently. I actually finished um, the last esports book I just bought on the, on the plane trip to Kansas. Um, and, and it's funny because every time I look at these esports books, this one's called What is Esports? It's by William Collisitz. It's good. But most of these books are stories. Um, and the, and, and I, I get pissed at that because uh, there was a book called Demystifying Esports, and it was written by, um, I think it was Pam H. Hyun. I might, I might have said that wrong, so if, if anyone knows it, but I know it has an, a Hyun in there somewhere. Um, and, and it just talks about esports. It kind of breaks it down a little bit, but a little bit. It's it's a story, and I'm thinking, oh, it's a PhD guy. He's going to do some heavy research. He's going to go hard. No, not really. <laughs> it's, a, it's a story. So I've actually been writing my book, Esports in Higher Education, where I'm going to outline uh, – the goal of the book is to outline you know, higher education esports, but I, I started by, by talking about um, – the introduction of um, using technology to teach online and, you know, starting off with just business seminars, you know, this early 1990s and kind of coming into here modern times. And then I'm going to talk about COVID a little bit, uh, try to be as sensitive as possible and then come into higher education, all that, and actually break it down, not just go, oh, this is my story. No, it's actually just because I don't feel like no one's done that. And I'm con and I'm talking to a lot of people, you know, health nutritionists and stuff. But really get good feedback because I want I want other comments in there, and and we'll probably have a separate conversation regarding this because uh, from everyone's perspective, whether it's a consultant or whether it's an advisor or whether. Oh. Jerry. Oh my God! Did I cut yeah. off? You cut yes. off your heart. Well, yeah. Where did I leave off? Was there a certain part that I that I left off? Um, you gathered quotes, and then we need to have a separate well, uh, conversation, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. So pretty much just uh, grabbing all these ideas and putting them into the book and finishing the book. And I I think it's gonna be cool conversation to have because a higher uh, an institution and I'm focused on institutions because it's what I figured that. I really like whether it's working in conjunction with institutions or working in an institution or consulting for institutions. Uh, the idea of uh, youth empowerment is so important to me. I guess kind of like a cornerstone of my life where I don't come from the best communities. And um, most of the friends that I had, there was like one Sega Dreamcast and we would go to like that one's friend's house to play Sonic Adventure 2. <laughs> and it, yeah, and it was just like one controller. So we would just take turns and I actually, I, I like Pac-Man. I don't know. Look, listen, whoever doesn't like Pac-Man has a problem. That game is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know the difference between Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man aside from the bow, but I think the games are the same. Mm -hmm. Galaga, stuff like that. The fun ones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, there's been conversations also in this space that, and again, this is very controversial, that apparently technology will come to a point that, uh, think about in integrating technology into our bodies, right? It doesn't start with like a needle. You're not going to, put some a microchip in your brain first it starts with like something that we probably have all of us watches like an apple watch um you put a device in your ear they call it an airpod or, or the new ones by beats that they made i forgot what those are called but the idea is that we're already getting used to wearing this every day we're already used to this i saw um i always thought it would i was a little kid and i thought it would be a good idea to have a shoe that when you put it on it says welcome 
But then I, as I grew up, I realized that that wasn't such a good <laughs> 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 um, But uh, I mean, this stuff like this that can you imagine like a shoe that you put on and you, no matter what, your feet just never stink. That's crazy. You'd make millions. I was <laughs> I was chatting with my father. There's some German brands that can't to do that. A tiny, <laughs> tiny showers inside or something. <laughs> I was chatting with my father and I said, you know what? I'm going to build something. He goes, what are you going to build? I'm going you know how you have a washer machine and then you have a dryer? Can you imagine a third machine, the same size, but what you do is you put in all the shirts and then it folds them. And he goes, how on earth did you do that? And I go, I'm not an engineer, but that's how you get what I do. But it'll uh, be, that would be a, that would be a multi-million dollar maker. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to do it. But the thing is, te technology is already coming into uh, our life in a way that's non-intrusive. So think about the future, like AI and how much it's going to improve and like automated cars. And even, and I think there's also issues with our current, like, um, green, yellow, red lights that we have, like that exist now, because it's just like a compliance thing, right? You just have to obey. Mm -hmm. That's another story for another day. Eventually, it'll come to a point where you say, okay, if AI is integrated so much as part of our lives, we can we can seamlessly translate from AI to real world to the point where both of them are just as real as the other. You can even simulate pain in some aspects, which I don't know what you would use that for, but maybe training the army. The idea is that um, <laughs> is, it more, is it more is it more beneficial to play f um, sports digitally with such advanced AI that it's, it feels and looks realistic without ever the need to get injured? It, it, it's certainly more sustainable than than you know other sports. It, it's horrible to see your favorite quarterback just get hurt and not be able to play anymore, or just mm -hmm. get old and have to go to a coaching position. Um, I think that these things that provide safety and provide sustainability. Uh, for the future, uh, should be looked at. Uh, again, it's controversy because everyone's like, ah, oh, we'll never stop playing sports. So we're we're, mm -hmm. we're like the Romans. We, we like to see the gladiators, right? We like to see the action, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, but well, we, we don't know. There's a couple of PhD doctors that have um, supposited that, that exact idea of AI becoming just so advanced that there'll just be no need for other crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. hmm. I think if if those types of virtual sports can uh simulate everything and everything has to be done the same except for the actual physical contact so basically the physical movement uh has to be the same uh the the exercise that you put in has to be the same the the training that you have to put in has to be the same and then only the the contest is basically like a, a no injury type of contest then i would say it can work because it, i would i for one would have uh, still have the feeling like oh yeah there's uh, there's nothing at stake but this person could uh, could really like in in boxing for example this this person uh, could box the same in reality i think that that uh, would be something that would be very important to people. Just imagine if you had boxers that wouldn't have to to quit uh, after some years I, because of head injuries and stuff, or I, the same with I get football. It. I mean, specifically with martial arts, though, it's part of I don't know if you call it skill set, but part of the competition that you're basically uh, getting diminished over the fight and still being able to exercise your moves ah, and competing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So mm -hmm. if that falls off, then it's 
it's kind of very linear compared to what we see now as martial arts. And uh, yeah, I mean, on on ball sports, it's more endurance, but it's <laughs> sometimes uh, physical contact too. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I, I would more argue. Like I, I would more argue them. that you don't want to just exactly simulate the, the current sports. If yeah. you do technology-based stuff, you're better off uh, doing something, making else. something, yeah, yeah. something else, exactly, or exactly. E expanding something because the, the some of the basic laws of physics or some of the basic rules don't apply anymore. So I would play with that at least if you if you just copy exactly what you have in the physical world. Um, that's going to be a dot. That's how I see it. I think EA Interactive talked about it, and um, another company, um, the game 2K, they talked about why they, they make the time there less than the time in the real game. So it won't directly represent the real game in every exact form. It has some subtleties, some differences to kind of differentiate it and say, this is the crowd that likes NBA. Because these video game games um, like FIFA and 2K and Madden, they make the big corporations, which are which back it, a lot of money. At, there was actually a point where 2K was making more money to the NBA than the NBA itself. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no. So yeah, no. And you're like, wow, that's ridiculous. But no, it is because th there's a big driving force there. Some people even state, "Oh, I watch soccer because I got introduced it through FIFA." Like, how many people get introduced to video games through mm -hmm. something like a, a mobile phone? Like, 71% of people actually is the actual statistic in 2018. So think about something casual, right? Like, uh, what is it? <laughs> My grandma plays at Farmville. <laughs> <laughs> Bejeweled, right? And then oh, you go yeah. into yep. um, games that are probably a little bit more competitive. Maybe maybe checkers, maybe Sudoku. I don't know if that's competitive, but uh, chess. And then you go into oh, uh, other games. And I think, uh, what is it? Raid Shadow Legends, which is everywhere now. <laughs> um, <laughs> PUBG Mobile, Call of Duty Mobile, which is actually an eSport. PUBG Mobile and Call of Duty are actually there. They're competing. People are winning money. There's pro players. Oh, yeah. Which is a little bit weird seeing people sit down with a big machine hooked up to their phone and just sitting down there crouched up. Uh, but I guess it's just something <laughs> we have to get used to. <laughs> yeah, so, I think there's ways to solve this. We talked internally about it. <laughs> I mean, the, the image, somebody being on stage and looking like he's at the bus stop is just <laughs> pretty depressing. Yeah. <laughs> so you uh, with broadcasting experience i mean you you also probably have the same view on it <laughs> but there's there's ways to solve it and i mean classically in, in in business you just or business and technology you call it leapfrogging so some countries just never had high-end computers to play stuff they went from uh, little technology at least on the entertainment and leisure side directly to mobile Right, so it just makes sense. Why would you be in between and get a um, big computer after you have a mobile machine that can at least play some of the most modern games that are tailored to the mobile market? Makes no sense, but yeah, there, there's some there's some things that need to be tweaked in order um, to to make it a better experience, both from a competitive standpoint as well as broadcasting and general like live tournaments and audience kind of aspects. Well, I mean, as technology improves, so will, so will this industry continue to grow? I, I don't think that Definitely. that they go hand in hand, but yeah, they go hand in hand. It's, uh, it, it's important that our, you know, I mean, our internet now is so good compared to back in the day. I, I still remember my dad and mom like dialing up beep, beep, beep. Like I, I actually oh, forget yeah. that. That is not the sound that it would make. 
It was another sound. I remember the sound of the computers booting up the Windows. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They looked so bad. They were really big computers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the old school American online dial-in tone. AOL. Yep. And then yeah. uh, the aim and kick were like really big for some time. <laughs> and then Skype. I like, you know, I like ICQ. Skype. I never wanted to leave it. ICQ was very ICQ, big, yeah. yeah, and MSN, <laughs> at least in in Germany. I yeah. Skype, Skype was like the hippest thing. The beep beep beep, the little Skype sound when you get a call, and then they're like, "Oh, Discord." I'm like, "I'm not going to Discord." I was one of the last people to leave MySpace. Also, <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you, you doing? Left, you left. You left even after Tom left. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> MySpace, MySpace was freaky. I love that you basically had your title music on it. And I, 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 I recently, I recently saw uh, like a post of a girl uh, that said, "Oh yeah, could you imagine uh, how how cool it would be to have a social media where you would have your like your favorite songs uh, auto playing or something like that?" And then someone commenting, "Yeah, this this girl basically invented MySpace in 2020." <laughs> <laughs> it, it'll come back they're gonna give people the option it's gonna be weird yeah <laughs> yeah I, I i think that's why myspace didn't really work because uh the whole point of a social network is to add more people and to like your connections but if you hear their favorite soundtracks you're like oh my god i have to delete this person from my <laughs> network so you <laughs> ended know. up just with tom who you couldn't delete well, I think it's 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 funny, but now that I think about it, I think really the downfall of MySpace was the the uh, the customizing of the page because that m makes it kind of feel so personalized that it's more like a blog, right? Yeah. Instead of you know uh, and, and Facebook right. is Facebook is very standard. Like okay, you cannot customize. You can customize your info and you can make your your individual posts, but everything uh, basically looks the same, which is kind of like a little bit depressing, but also <laughs> way less uh, stressful than than if you have to to deal with everyone's personality put on one page or something like that. So. <laughs> Some people have multiple personalities, yeah. but one page. No, we have to talk about the elephant in the room. The, the real reason, let's face it, is because they had a top five. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> and then you would categorize your friends as the top five, and then and remember, uh. and, and I mean, you were all older than me, but I was in high school, and if something happened or like uh, you told your friend, "Oh no, I can't go to the movies," you log into MySpace, and you're not you're not top two anymore. You're you're in the ten. Oh And wow. then you're like, "Oh my oh, god!" Yeah. So it was really just like a psychological. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. bad. Oh my god. <laughs> I can tell you, I I always had Tom still in my top five. That's that's how I yeah, was. Yeah. I there, there were not there were not many users of MySpace, right? I I basically had I don't know how many friends I had, uh, not a lot because not a lot of people had it. Um, huh. But I can still remember I put like uh, put like snakes in the background and stuff. It looked very very <laughs> cool to good. me, but yeah. <laughs> You oh look God. back and you go, whew. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because in MySpace, I released my first ever recorded song in a studio. Mm. It was called The Remember. Yeah, I, I played like uh, very soft lullaby music. Mm -hmm. And I and then 
And then MySpace won't let me listen to the original recording anymore. It just doesn't exist. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, no, it was bad. I uh <laughs> I had um I would wake up and iron my hair. I had long hair to my shoulders. Mm -hmm. I wake up at five to iron it. Oh my god, it was that phase of my life. Woo. Oh, yeah. I'm surprised I look back and I go, That's not me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I totally get that. <laughs> I also had long no, hair. Dude, there's gonna be websites, and, and they they try to do it. There's websites that try to emulate, well, maybe not MySpace, but they're trying to emulate LinkedIn and Facebook and stuff, mm -hmm. but just for esports. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I like, think some we we came across something like that right in the beginning, didn't we? Mm -hmm. We did. And yeah. Some mm -hmm. of them are. Just, I just want a name drop. <laughs> I don't want a name drop. No free publicity from. Some, some of them are doing it so so wrong. And I look at it and, you know, and they're like, what the help and, and all of this. And they feel like they're doing good. And here's the thing. Like, if, 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 if there's always a product for someone out there. doesn't matter how weird your product is. Someone's going to buy it. I mean, I don't know anyone who doesn't buy Charming, you know, or Bounty. Like, if you're buying anything else, whatever. Maybe it's cheaper. Maybe you're getting deals. Maybe you work for the company. Or maybe you just don't know what Charming is. But that's really hard. By the way, I, just fun fact, I, I paused the Hulu. Uh, my wife got me into some show called Lost. It's actually quite good. Lost? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of addicted. Um, <laughs> but the idea is that I paused it to go get a soda. And I come back and I just stop in front of the screen, right? And we got this big 80-inch. And she's like, what are you doing? I was like, can you believe this? In the pause screen... It shows the bar on the bottom, of, and then it disappears after a moment, and the Charmin' bear pops up on the side of the screen holding a Charmin' thing. And here's the best thing about it. You can right-click, because it's on the PS4, you can right-click on this, and you can go into, like, the Charmin' page or, like, okay. or some sort of, like, flyer commercial they have. And I told her, they're monetizing off us pausing the video. It's like they never stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're never stopping. They're gonna yeah, project yeah. advertising That's... into your brains when you sleep. Yeah, yeah. like in Futurama. Like in Futurama. <laughs> yep. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, this this is this is something that I I talked uh, about in in the the talk with the esports trade association in the in the coffee meeting. Uh, it's like there is so many advertisements everywhere, and they are so um, useless most of the time. They're not relevant for me. It's like I uh, I think I told you this, Marcel. But ever since I got the the Aura Ring, uh, this this health device in ring form, I get I get advertisements for this thing everywhere because I looked for it when I bought it. Now I get advertisements, <laughs> but I already have the product. Can you please stop advertising the product that I already have? They're going to upsell it's, you until you have it on uh, all ten fingers. It, yeah, <laughs> ten fingers. I could buy it nine more. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe aura like uh, what is it called? Like a uh, knuckle thing? <laughs> oh yeah. You mean the oh, what is it called? It shows it shows your pulse. Yeah, you the know, brass knuckles. You're beating someone up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that would be that would be awesome. It's basically the equivalent of the people uh, going to the fair um, to this punching bag that shows how strong you can punch. You basically have to. I hate that thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's always the worst. The worst kind of people. Strong? <laughs> meeting at those things, <laughs> my God! Yeah, but now yeah. you have that as a as a health device, basically. 
there was actually a machine. It was in, in Dave and & Buster's, and it was a trivia machine. Would you actually mm -hmm. answer questions? It has four buttons, and they have four answers. Mm -hmm. And then I'm sitting there talking to my wife, and there's and there's a couple there. Um, like They're not sitting next to us. They're standing next to the machine. And I overhear them uh, chatting about, like, oh, this and that, this and that. And then I tell them, hey, w would you all play us? And then the loser buys the other one drinks. And we actually played this trivia game. But the cool part wasn't the fact that it was a competition. It was the fact that um, since you had, like, one minute for these questions, you can actually talk to each other, right? Because there's only one answer per group. It was... It was cool to see completely different strangers actually jumping into a competition mm -hmm. with two completely different strangers just for fun, right? Because it doesn't matter what it drinks like what like three bucks there, so it, it's not really <laughs> like a big deal. But the idea is that when I look at like how esports started, it was probably just like that where people say like, "Hey, look, listen, like I play this game, you play it too. Let's see who's better, right?" Mm -hmm. There had to be some competition eventually, some way to so some way to say like, "Oh, I want to be the best." Like the whole leaderboard thing, Donkey Kong. I think I don't know if the first ever Donkey Kong still holds the world record the original person i'm unsure but i i think they might still hold the world record oh uh, well the person's dead but the idea mm -hmm. the idea is there the i wanted to chat about um well actually i'll, I'll kind of give the conversation to you guys if what do you think about and, and don't roast me for this i'll probably get roasted <laughs> the idea so franchising happened in the in the pro leagues already but mm -hmm. institutions them. haven't franchised and you're like oh well but they're institutions well that's not necessarily what i mean i mean there isn't like an example, Apex Legends. There isn't a United States championship for Apex Legends for university. So let's say every university in Florida plays mm -hmm. against each other. And all the mm -hmm. other states are the same. And then the winners from those institutions go to a bracket. They play. And then the winner from that is the U.S. champion of collegiate Apex or collegiate. Yeah, that's how it should be. Yeah, that's yeah. how it should be. Straight exactly. out. I think the N what is it, NCAA, they, the, because they said that they didn't want to That's how you do it, before. right? State champion in wrestling or football and then you play um, all american yeah and but and i think there's like different conferences for that but the oh, ncaa yeah. not choosing to back esports is actually hurt it a lot because nace is trying to govern it but some schools don't even know what nace is they're just oh let's build a program there's oh, like okay. four to five different yeah, exactly and so then there's not really one big string that pulls them all because the NACC ncaa gets in it instantly they can create a uniform way to gauge all the schools mm -hmm. and it can be more streamlined yep i don't know what you guys and think you, about you can right? track it all back to to high schools as well so oh better than that i mean that you you guys in, in the us you do have this uh, particular system in how to become a professional athlete in traditional sports at least in the american yeah. sports environment so uh, at least for for i guess us and maybe canada um totally i don't see a reason why it would be different for esports of course yeah. you can just jump straight into pro but there should be like a baseline level of how to get there which should go through the education route which is the established one for traditional sports there's some nuances but sports management is almost essentially the same when it comes to esports you're just dealing with more digital infrastructure so i mean they've even developed some some degrees and stuff which uh, they're just trying to monetize but the idea is that you can grab your regular skill sets as a project manager marketing director you know curator journalist and you can just apply that in an esports setting and you're going to get the same results if you know a little bit about the industry you don't have to be a whiz um if they do do that what you just said it, it can be good for them because on top of the fact that they're 
they have so much weight to their name, they can actually collect real-time data, which I think is super important for them. If, the, if you know, especially in the space that's coming up. I don't know why they don't want to do it. Hmm. Maybe uh, we've gone way over the usual time, which I'm <laughs> totally fine with, because there's always a lot to talk with you about. Um, let's wrap it up with one last question, which is uh, how, how does high school esports tie into the collegiate uh, from your perspective? How should it be how it is currently? So currently it's it's not a stream as, a, as you might think. Some high schools are actually not even aware that they can connect with institutions to join their events or join the tournaments. Another company, and there's been some controversy with this, um, and since everyone knows it, uh, Play Versus that they monetize off high school esports, which some people think is really bad because you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't create some sort of gateway that they, it will be behind a paywall that they need to go through to get into college esports. It's not a necessity, but Nace, uh, Play Versus really does help them. Um, the thing is, you know, there's it's a paywall. High school esports, I think, should be, uh, a bit, again, very community-based. They should base it on the fact that these students, these students simply want to play and be part of an environment. They don't, they don't necessarily want to go for competitions. Uh, they don't necessarily want to get sponsors. While some kids do have that idea, they, you know, they want to go pro. Come on, who doesn't want to go pro? If you play video games, who doesn't want to go pro? But the idea is that um, the sooner they understand that going to a university for esports, it's not about going pro. It's more about uh, getting benefits and some scholarship money, kind of uh, sprinkled on top of your your college experience is what it's all about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's potential there, and you can get connected, and you know you can have reference points. But I think if they start viewing it that way, um, it becomes more full circle rather than just giving students the illusion that they're going to be pro, and that if they go through this rigorous program, they're going to get to a institution that has a good program, and then their chances at getting pro are going to be even better. And while that's, and that's true, really disconnected, right? <laughs> the yeah, university to pro transition is basically not there, and if it yeah. is, then it has no, almost it, no, nothing it, to it, do with the university. A kid that goes pro from university, one, he has to be extremely good before he even gets in the university. Look, the university is not going to make you into a fantastic player. They can make you into a better player. You're going to improve, mm -hmm. but if you're not already a good player when you get there, you're not going to become a whiz by the time you get out. And so the, uh, at the moment, there's no necessity to go through the college. Yeah, no if you're good at 18, you just go to a pro team if you're good enough. Yeah, that's a, that, that, that's about it. Well, I believe everyone should go through some sort of, um, you know, educational endeavor. Yeah, the idea is there. You you don't need it. They shouldn't even set it as a way that 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 you need it because then then they're just straight up lying. <laughs> Again, there's some kind of gating that can happen, like in traditional sports where they will say, okay. To go to the U.S. pro teams, you need to have a college degree, or you have oh, wow. to have been through a college esports or something like that. But hopefully, that doesn't happen. Like these are unnecessary barriers, in my opinion. I mean, even before high school, there's nothing under the high school, so um, there's big money injected into high schools, universities, professional organizations, but nothing to middle and elementary because there's not really a big way to monetize there. But mm -hmm. um, I had a couple of talks with some middle schools and. What I want to do is um, create, just keep it short, create some uh, curriculum for them so uh, they like it. And, and again, we can do this just kind of like a pro bono situation because I want to talk to the county and I want the county to see this is what I'm doing for these schools. This is how I'm creating engagement within the community. This is what I'm giving the, 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 the children to do in a COVID space. 
Um, and then maybe the county says, like, hey, you know what, how about you build for these seven, eight schools in the county, this curriculum? And we so because then we have we have a story that from younger kids that as they grow, they start to explore high schools that have esports, right? High schools improve their enrollment numbers, and then that leads into a pipeline into university. So it becomes a healthier environment because you're starting from youth. Mm-hmm. They're completely ignoring youth, and they're just focusing straight high schools, universities, because that's what's giving them money right now. Very true. All right. So I mean, we could keep talking for for hours and hours, which means that certainly <laughs> we want to have you back on our podcast within the next few weeks, months. Uh, but let's wrap it up for today. Thank you, Jerry, so much. I hope you enjoy the rest of your birthday and <laughs> yeah. uh, get some get some really nice cake as well. Thank you for having me, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have some okay. of of your good whiskey? Yes, yes. It's Hell actually yeah. boxes because I move I move on the twenty seventh. Ah, okay, okay. Uh, it, it's the same building, just a, a bigger apartment. Mm-hmm. Oh, upgrading, going up in life. I like it. <laughs> All right. So have a good one, everyone. Thank you. Yep. Bye. Thank you, Jerry, and thank you for listening. Bye-bye.